Welcome to the Kitchen Sink meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. Please note, we will be holding this meeting via Zoom for the foreseeable future. If you'd like to attend the meeting live, go to oalaig.org for login information. And now, our speaker. It's now time for the leader to qualify until 9.30. Okay, I am uh, still Michael, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Uh, I, I, I used to, when I say I'm a compulsive overeater, put the emphasis on compulsive overeater. I'm a compulsive overeater. And I think in the beginning, in OA, that was very important for me to identify. But recently, I've tried to put the emphasis more on the word, I'm. I'm a compulsive overeater, meaning I am a part of what Overeaters Anonymous is all about. And I think that is one of the many gifts that I have gotten from OA, is to be a part of something, to be a part of something bigger. Um, I was very, very lost when I first came into the program 35 years ago. I was 22 years old. um, And I had definitely had a problem with eating. I found out later I had a problem with life. And I thought my solution was food. I can tell you right now, after 35 years of abstinence, when I'm in trouble, when I want to eat, it's because I want to be temporarily distracted. I want to be distracted from something. It could be something huge, like a big project at work that I really don't want to work on. It could be a relationship problem that I'm not addressing, or it could be something as simple as doing the dishes in the sink or dusting. That's a big one for me, dusting, looking over and going, oh, my God, there's dust all over that uh, table. Uh, Maybe something to eat would be better. Um, I, uh, this morning, read this, recovery is defined as the removal of the need to engage in compulsive eating. That's the true gift of Overeaters Anonymous, isn't it? For me. The removal. Uh, My first sponsor said to me, Michael, if you do everything that the program suggested, the problems that you had, the need to compulsively overeat, will be removed on a daily basis. You won't need to go to compulsive overeating. You won't need to be distracted because you'll have a program for living that will work under all conditions. Of course, when I first came into the program, I wasn't interested in any of that. I was actually interested in continuing to do exactly what I was doing, but getting different results. I didn't want to stop eating. I didn't want to change my attitude. I didn't want to, you know, work the steps. I I didn't. I wanted to continue to do what I was doing, but having different results. And having gotten up to 270 pounds by the time I was 18 years old, To be temporarily distracted? Yeah. I didn't grow up. I just kept eating. I just kept distracting myself. And each year I got older and I got bigger. Then came the period where I 
I actually tried to lose weight. And this may be OA blasphemy, but I think if I look back, they all worked for a while. Every, every way I tried worked for a, for a while, sometimes for a couple weeks or a month, sometimes just for the morning. It just worked for the morning, but by the time the evening rolled around, the need to compulsively overeat returned. And I'm so grateful to Dawn for asking me to lead this morning's meeting because I don't want to ever forget. I don't want to ever forget what it's like to wake up on a Saturday morning after a huge binge on Friday night with that pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization that once again, the disease of compulsive overeating had gotten me and wake up with the firm resolution that I would never do it again. And then that evening, the same thing happened. So when I came into OA, and there were people who talked about having done the same things I did, having eaten the same ways I've eaten, having thought the same way that I thought, not thinking very much of themselves, but thinking about themselves all the time. I knew I was a part of something. I knew I had found what they say, welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, welcome home. But I actually was not interested in the OA program. I wasn't. I heard about the steps, and I heard about the GOD, and I heard about this sponsorship thing, and I heard about the literature. And I'm like, ah, okay. The literature... Can I just wait for the tapes to come out? Can I wait for the DVD? I'm actually not really into reading. Uh, the sponsorship thing, yeah. Uh, I think I have too much pride to ask for help, and I think I have too much fear to ask for help as well. Um, the GOD thing, yeah, don't get me started on that. I was like, oh, my goodness. Um, I just, I, I'm just not interested in those things. So the bottom line is, and, you know, my hopefully today I'll share with you my experience because my experience is unshakable and unarguable. My opinion, that's a completely different story. My opinion can change. It's arguable. But my experience is all my own. And my experience is I didn't do the OA program. I did the Michael program. The Michael program was, yeah, raise my hand and say I'm a compulsive overeater. Not truly admit to my innermost self that I had a problem, but go, yeah, yeah, I'm a compulsive overeater. Attend some meetings and try to diet. And like many times before, how it would work for a while, uh, that worked for 43 days. I was really uh, impressed uh, with myself <laughs> uh, that I had done 43 days of white-knuckling abstinence. And uh, I went out, very cocky, to have one of something. One. I hadn't had it in, you know, 43 days. I should certainly be fine now. That countless vain attempt to prove that I could eat like another person. And I went and had one of the worst binges in my 23 years that I had ever had. And this was in the program of Overeaters Anonymous. This was me being involved 
in the program of Overeaters Anonymous, not committed to the program of Overeaters Anonymous, but be involved, sitting in the back, you know, chilling. Um, this may be another OA blasphemy, but my experience has been OA is not designed to make me feel comfortable with my compulsive overeating. I think I kind of thought that was what was going to happen. I was going to come into OA and they were going to teach me how to get comfortable with with overeating or teach me how to be comfortable, you know, eating what I wanted to eat, not feel bad about it. Yeah, my experience is that's not what OA is designed to do. OA is designed to turn the crank of discomfort with my compulsive overeating tighter and tighter until eventually it becomes clear to me that I am a compulsive overeater and I'm powerless over food. And my life is unmanageable. Even though I had a car and a job, I even at one point had a man who loved me, a woman who loved me. I even had 2,000 people. Is this the truth? 2,000 people stand up after a performance and applaud. And yet none of those things could uh, shield me from the disease of compulsive overeating. You know, I once heard that the disease of compulsive overeating will eventually take everything. It will take your career. It'll take your relationships. It'll take your self-esteem. It'll take your purposefulness. And eventually, it will take your life. I'm grateful that at some point, I didn't have to go to the extent of taking my life. But I knew after that first binge that some, in OA, something was definitely wrong with Michael. And I needed help. You know, I first thought, you know, oh, my God, they're going to, you know, they're going to brainwash me in Overeaters Anonymous. <laughs> my eventual sponsor said, Michael, having heard some of the stuff that you've done and the way you think, I think your brain could use a little washing. <laughs> Definitely. Um, so I started in abstinence again. It was June 5th, uh, 1986. So I'm coming up on 35 years of abstinence. And I remember having, uh, I, I had a friend who, uh, I'm not a friend, his name was Matt, and um, I remember he called me up and congratulated me on my 30 days of abstinence. And I was like, how did he know I had 30 days of abstinence? This guy took the time in meetings to write down people's dates so that when they got to certain milestones, he could call them. And I was coming up on 90 days of abstinence. I, I still hadn't really done much in the program, but I, I was definitely more committed. And I was uh, pretty much still crazy. And um, he called me up on my 90th day of abstinence and said, Michael, congratulations. And I said, oh, my God, I am like a lunatic. Uh, I think I'm going to binge tonight. I'm definitely going to binge tonight. And he said, well, I'm going to the Friday night Thalians meeting, for those of you who might remember. Uh, it's at 8 o'clock. And I'll save a seat next to me for you. I hope to see you there. Click. He didn't say get your ass to a meeting. He didn't say, well, binge if you need to. 
He said he invited me to be a part of something bigger. I'll save a seat for you next to me at the meeting. I hope to see you there. Click. And I found myself at that meeting and heard a wonderful speaker. I don't know, it could have been Jack. And that night I sat on the sofa with him and I admitted to my innermost self that I was a compulsive overeater and I was willing to go to any length to keep the gift of abstinence. Side note, in the beginning I heard people talk about, I'm not abstinent and I need to get abstinent. And that night I learned that every OA meeting, I'm given the gift of abstinence. I don't have to get it. I have to learn how to keep it. I have to be willing to go to any lengths to keep this precious gift that has been given to me. And I can tell you today, without exception, abstinence is the most important thing in my life. Because I've had many of those other things, and I haven't had abstinence, and my life has been completely unmanageable. And in abstinence, I've lost all those things. A car, a job, a man, a woman, $100,000 in the bank, gone. But I had my abstinence, and I was content. And that's true contentment, is to be able to sit in a room by myself and know that I am part of something bigger. Matt ended up being my sponsor, and he said, Michael, you're willing to go to any lengths. And I said, well, I really don't know what that means. And he said, well, if I asked you to stand naked on a fire hydrant and pass out pamphlets for OA, would you do it? And that night, I said, it wouldn't be pretty, but yes, I'd be willing to do that. And somehow, the literature talks about willingness is the key. And I don't know, for some reason, I have had that gift of willingness for the last 35 years. My sponsor said, if you do everything that is suggested, you won't want to overeat. And that's been my experience. I can tell you that I did all the steps, and I can tell you that my number one motivator to do them was because I was afraid that I would lose my abstinence if I didn't. So we had to address the G-O-D thing. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Um, uh, I, I, I don't believe like those people believe. And he said, Michael, how do they believe? And we read a little thing in the literature. I have to tell you that I've come to believe in the program of Overeaters Anonymous as it's outlined in the literature. And it says, much to our relief, put your hand over your head, forehead, oh, much to our relief. We need not consider another's conception of G-O-D. Wait, what? We need not consider another's conception of G-O-D. Our own conception, however inadequate, would be sufficient. I was like, oh. So my own idea of G-O-D, however incomplete it will be or is, will be sufficient. All we have to do is ask ourselves if we're willing to believe in a power greater than ourselves. And I'll tell you a little trick. I'm not even sure I was willing to believe, but my sponsor said, Michael, do you believe Jack believes? And after hearing Jack and being at meetings, I was like, yeah, yeah, I believe that Jack believes. Do you believe that Carl believes? I said, yeah, I believe that Carl believes. He said, then you have a belief. 
You are part of something bigger, though you may not even know it yet. You have a wonderful friend in your higher power, though you haven't really gotten to know him very well yet. So, thank you. So, I did my steps. I did my inventory. I thought I was going to have to live with these things for the rest of my life. The literature says, a strenuous effort to face and get rid of. Wait, get rid of? Get rid of the things which were blocking us. So that the need to compulsively overeat is removed. We had to do our, I had to do my amends. I remember having to go to the Mayfair Market, which God knows even if it exists anymore in Los Angeles, was on uh, Bronson and uh, Bronson and Gower. Oh, I don't remember. But making my amends for all the food that I had stolen. And I had been told if I ever went into that store again, um, I would go to jail. Remember, compulsive overeating will take everything. So to drive by a store and know that if you walked in, you would be arrested? That is the bondage of the disease of compulsive overeating. So the freedom, when I walked out of there after making my amends and asking, I'd like to be a member of your of your of society and be a customer of your store again. And the manager looked at me and he looked at the check that I had given him. And I suppose the sincerity in my eyes. And he said, yes, that can be arranged. And I bought a 95 cent can of tuna <laughs> that I hadn't been able to do for years. And I walked out of that store a free man. And I think that is ultimately what I've experienced over the last 35 years as I've continued to get to know my higher power more. As I've continued to, what's the great story about Michelangelo or Michelangelo? How did you know what the statue of David was supposed to look like? And he said, I chipped away at everything that wasn't David in the marble. And what was left was David. And I think that's been my experience in Overeaters Anonymous, that Michael has always been there. The whole perfect, complete Michael has always been here. It's just been covered. It's been marred. It's been um, uh, shackled by something else, something extra. And the program of Overeaters Anonymous relieves that. Um, I can tell you that for the first two years I wanted to eat. So if you're sitting there going, wow, you know, I'm, I'm abstinent and I'm working on the steps and I want to eat. I wanted to eat for the first two years. I'd wake up in the morning. I'd have my abstinent breakfast. I'd ask God to keep me clean, sober, and abstinent. I'd call people. I'd go to meetings. I'd work on my steps. And I still wanted to eat. But I didn't do it. And um, a little trick, my first sponsor said, if you want to eat, Talk through the binge. Talk through it. Be like, well, okay, what do you want to do? Well, I want to go eat this. I want to go eat that. And then he'd say, and then what? Well, and then I would go do this, and then I would go do that. And go, great, and then what? And then what? And eventually we would get to what the real problem was. That the the eating was just a distraction that would lead me to nothing. Uh, It was in my 20th year, and I see that I have one more minute. Um, it was in my 20th year, I mean, my 35th year now, that I actually began a true relationship 
on a daily basis for 30 minutes a day getting to know my higher power. Um, you can't really have a relationship with someone unless you spend time with them. And so for the last 15 years, I've spent 30 minutes, is this the true? Almost without exception, getting to know my higher power. And my program catapulted into um, comfort. Uh, there were so many things that I got to learn about myself. Today, in the last minute, um, I'm in a relationship, and I thought I was going to learn so much about the other person. I'm learning so much about me. Uh, during the pandemic, I got to work on some old issues that I thought I'd worked on, like the need to know. Gosh, the need to know. And ultimately turning that over to my higher power. What a relief. So um, I hope that if there's something I didn't cover that maybe we can cover in the questions. I have been in a love affair with Overeaters Anonymous the last 35 years. And for some reason, that joyousness and that love has not gone away. And I hope it continues for the rest of my life. Thanks so much for listening. It's now time for questions only. There's no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with anyone after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking a question, you need not identify yourself. If you asked a question last week, please wait until the first three questions have been asked before raising your hand. If you have a question, please click on the raise your hand icon and we'll stop questions at 9.50. Does anyone have a question? Good morning. I'm Sandy and I'm a compulsive overeater and that share was beautiful and meaningful and very, very, very helpful. My question is, um, you said that your program catapulted when you were um, – able or made the decision or welcomed a 30-minute period out of every day to get to know your higher power. And I, my question is, did you, it may seem silly, did you experiment with the time of day and did that grow into 30 minutes or could you just talk a little bit about your process of creating that time and space into your life? Uh, a great question. Uh and the truth will always set me free. The truth is, uh, I had an intuitive thought or a decision, as the literature talks about. And I was reminded that in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it says that um, it's easy to shy away from this, uh, this idea of meditation, but we feel that we can offer some very practical suggestions. And it was like... You're offering practical suggestions? Well, what are they? And then it goes on to say, upon awakening. When, Michael? Upon awakening. Let us think about the 24 hours ahead. So I was like, uh, okay, upon awakening. When is that? And my intuitive thought thought, it's when I wake up. It's not <laughs> once I have coffee. It's not once I read the paper. It's literally when I wake up. And then it goes on to give all these suggestions. We think about the 24 hours ahead. Um, then later it says, we usually conclude this period of meditation. I'm like, conclude this period of meditation? 
Oh, so this is all meditation with a prayer that we'd be shown all through the day what our next step should be. Well, so I started doing that whole little thing. And when I got to the end, when we usually conclude this period of meditation, lo and behold, it was 30 minutes later. (laughs) And I was like, wow, 30 minutes. So I just kept doing it. And for the past 15 years, it's developed, it's morphed a little bit, but it's still basically upon awakening, and it's still basically about 30 minutes. Sometimes it's 35, 36, sometimes it's 28, I guess, but it's about 30 minutes. Um, the trick is, whatever time I need to get up, I always have to add 30 minutes so that I have time to do my prayer and meditation. Uh, the meeting today was at 9. I could have gotten up at 8.30, but I set my alarm for 8 because I knew I would need 30 minutes. Sure enough, I woke up at 7.15, so okay, that's fine. So um, my experience, and you know, the literature also says the only wrong way to do meditation is to not do it at all. So there are obviously lots of different ways, but that has been my experience, that it was very practical. And my sponsor he would always have all these suggestions, and I would say, where does it say that in the literature? Because I knew that the literature was part of something bigger. I knew the literature was something that somebody took the time to write down. Like when he said, call me every day. I was like, what? I'm not calling you every day. Where does it say that in the literature? And he said, page 100, big book. I go to page 100. You and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. When? When must we walk? Day by day, Michael. Well, how, Michael, are we going to walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress if we don't talk every day? I was like, sure enough, there it says it in the literature. So I came to believe in the program of Overeaters Anonymous, Sandy, and that's what it seemed to suggest for meditation. Maybe 35 years from now, well, Actually, not 35 years. I don't think I'm going to be around that long. But um, maybe my meditation will be different. So um, uh, we can check in later and see how it's evolved. Thanks for your question. Next up, we have Ann. Hi, Michael. Thank you, Ann, Compulsive Breeder. I appreciate your insights and experience, strength, and help so much. Just when you were ending your talk, you said that you were looking at the need to know, and I wonder if you'd take a minute to expand on that. It was very, um, uh, I don't know, there's something there that I'd like to, that I recognize. I'd love to hear more. Well, thanks, Anne. Um, I think... The sheltering in place in the pandemic, um, I can only share my own personal experience, was a hard time. It was definitely a very difficult time. I found myself constantly asking the questions. What's going to happen? When are things going to get back to normal? Uh, what's going to happen with my job? What, what's going to happen with my health? I need to know the answers to these questions. I need to know. It got, I got very, very uncomfortable. 
And for me, I know there are people who love to write. They're like, oh, I love the tool of writing. It's, it's wonderful. I'm like, wow, that's not my experience. I write when my back is up against the wall and the wall is on fire. <laughs> so I got so uncomfortable. Side note, my sponsor said, Michael, if you're going through something difficult, that's great. I'm like, that's great. What are you talking about? He said, that's what the program is designed to do. You get very uncomfortable with your compulsive overeating, and that motivates you to take some action. So I got so uncomfortable, Anne, with this need to know that I did some writing, and I realized I had not turned my will and my life over to the care of my higher power in this area. That the need to know, I was like, I give it up. Side note, I don't know if this is your experience. I'm pretty good now at identifying the defect of character, but that's very different than wanting it removed. I'll give you an example. Perfectionism. The first two or three years in the program, I'd go, oh, that's perfectionism. Oh, that's perfectionism. I, I didn't want it removed. I wanted to be perfect. I, I still wanted it. I, I was like, I, I didn't really have the desire to want it removed. I had a period during gossip. Oh, that's gossip. Yeah, that's gossip. That's bad. That's bad. Yeah. I didn't want it removed. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, gossip. But it got so bad. I was like, I don't want to. God, please take this. So that was my experience with the need to know. It got so uncomfortable that I said, I do not want this. I do not want this. My sponsor said, you take a piece of paper and you crumple it up, and this is the need to know, and you you throw it away. And there it is on the floor. I want to pick it up. I want to, I want to do something with it. And it's like, nope, God's going to take care of that now. You don't, you don't need to know that anymore. And I have to tell you, it was a huge relief, a huge relief. And so today, if I'm like, oh, God, what's going to happen with that meeting this morning? Or I'm, I'm doing a taping this afternoon. And I'm like, God's in charge, Michael. God's in charge. You don't need to know. It really is a wonderful reminder of one day at a time. It's been a great reminder uh, this past year and a half to just take it one day at a time. The idea of abstaining for 35 years, the idea of not eating wedding cake for 35 years or not eating popcorn for 35 years, uh, that's not going to happen. But somehow one day at a time, that has happened. And so um, the need to know knock on wood, um, has been removed on a daily basis over the last year and a half. So um, that's been my experience. I hope that's helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Next up, Victoria. Good morning, Victoria, compulsive overeater. Uh, Thank you so much for your share. My question is, you talked about – that the food was your need to distract and be a distraction. And one of your tools was <clears throat> to think 
the binge through. Can you, I have 37 days, so in remedial terms, can you share some more tools that you use when you're at that um, turning point, that crossroads? Thank you. It's a great question, Victoria. Um, I would say that in the first two years, the tool that helped me the most was service. Now, not something I was particularly interested in, but service. Going to meetings, getting there 15 minutes early, greeting at meetings. I'm like, what? My sponsor said, yeah, greet at meetings. I'm like, I can't do that. He said, yeah, you can. You stand at the front door, and when people come in, you go, hi, welcome to the meeting. That's all. That's all you have to do. Take down the numbers of the newcomers. Take down the numbers of the speaker. Well, and call them the next day. I'm like, well, what if I didn't like what the speaker said? He said, you can thank them for coming. They got out of their pajamas, and they came down, and they went to the meeting. Now, who knows, you can keep your pajama bottoms on at the Zoom meetings, but um, clean up afterwards. So get a service commitment. Be a greeter. You know, so for the first two years, um, I I did service. In fact, I remember, God, do I say this? I was having a really bad day. So I called up my sponsor. And after about two minutes of complaining about all that was going on with me, he said, uh, Michael, have you been to a meeting today? I said, no, I, I haven't had time to go to a meeting. I got all this stuff going on. He said, um, you know, it's 730. There's a meeting at 8 o'clock. Why don't you go to the 8 o'clock meeting and call me afterwards? And I said, but, but, but. He said, Michael, I love you. Go to the meeting and call me afterwards. Click. And I was like, that son of a gun. <laughs> but I went to the damn meeting. I got out of myself. I got into service. I greeted people. I heard a great speaker. I got home at 9.30, 9.45. I called him back up, and I said, thank you. Thank you. Service saves the day. The literature says when all other measures fail, all other measures, working with another compulsive overeater will save the day. And I can tell you that based on my personal experience, I have never binged or never overeaten when I have been working with another compulsive overeater. And so that has been my super trick. I'm sure there's lots of other good ones. Um, but honestly, that was my savior in the beginning when the steps and the higher power weren't really strong enough to keep me up. Uh, it was kind of like it was on a balancing act. And yes, I had the steps and I had my higher power, but it was still very rocky. But I had this safety net under me of service that if I did fall, the service was going to keep me part of something bigger. I hope that's helpful. Uh, we have less than two minutes now. Uh, next up is Pamela. Hi, Michael. Thank you so much. Can you talk about forgiveness? Certainly. Um, the literature says that ultimately we find that overall forgiveness is desirable. And I was like, 
overall forgiveness is desirable. What does that mean? And in steps eight and nine, it talks about we find that in order to forgive ourselves, we ought to start by forgiving others, all of them, no matter what they may or may not have done to us. So I felt like I had two paths to follow. One path was, Michael, you're a mess up. Michael, you're a screw up. Other people are screw ups too. Can't they do anything right in this world? And and the other path was, everybody's doing the very best they can. Everybody's a child of, of this universe playing on a playground. And sure, we bump into each other every once in a while, and we fight over which toy it should be ours. But everybody's doing the best they can. And no matter what we have done, everything is forgivable. And I don't know, it just intuitively made so much sense to go down the latter path. And so I had to forgive each and every person, no matter what they had done to me. And then I knew that whatever I had done, that I would go to my grave with, was also forgivable. I know we're out of time, but one little trick. Somebody said to me, Michael, um, a little dog that that runs around and, and pees on the floor uh, and doesn't know better, are they um, capable and and should have my forgiveness and love? I said, of course. He said, what about when they're 10 years old and maybe they do know better, but they have an accident and they shit on the floor again. Are they still capable of being forgiven? I said, yeah. He said, what about on their dying bed when they can't hold their bowels anymore and they're shitting all over the place? Are they still worthy of love and worthy of forgiveness? And I said, of course. He said, well, Michael, how is anyone else on this earth, including you, exempt from the same policy. And it made me realize that nothing was unforgivable. Um, That is the path that I have taken, um, and it's served me very well. So thanks, Pamela.